Before we get into today's episode, just a brief note and trigger warning that miscarriage and loss is mentioned in this episode. So if that is a bit too difficult to hear about, tune into another episode and I am sending you so much love if this is a trigger for you and my heart goes out to you, but I just wanted to give you a heads up before we get into it. Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velarkis, expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist. And we are back with another guest episode with special guest Sally Marchini from Marchini Nutrition. Welcome, Sally. Thanks, Steph. Great to be here. So thrilled to have you here. And today's podcast episode is all about celiac disease and fertility and pregnancy health. So Sal, can you tell us a little bit about your interest in celiac disease as a fellow dietitian and where that all started for you? Sure. So I was diagnosed with celiac disease about 17 years ago and it was that diagnosis on top of my type 1 diabetes that made me want to go and study at university to become a dietitian and gave me my interest in helping people with complex chronic health disease conditions. Yeah, Yeah, amazing. And it was that own personal health experience that kind of led you to dietetics as as a second career and and now you're one of the expert celiac dietitians, I would say, that I always go to for help with any of my celiac patients. So it's awesome to have you on. Thank and you. where did the interest, I guess, in early life nutrition or fertility nutrition come about for you? Okay, so I'm part of the Nutrition Plus network of early life nutrition dietitians. And so I started with them when we were just looking at women's health because I do see a lot of women. And now that's kind of honed further down into fertility and pregnancy. And I absolutely love it because, you know, it's it's changing people's health from before they're born. It's, it's so exciting to think that you can change the gene outcomes Mm. And and to help people who otherwise might struggle with fertility and pregnancy, you know, just by dietary means, really mm. diet and lifestyle. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's a it's a really great area to be working in. I feel very That's, privileged. Yeah, I totally agree. It feels like you're part of some some kind of magical part of people's lives. Um, and a big time of change and 
the fact that we can have some positive contribution to that um, and to help them get the outcomes that they're looking for is the greatest reward of all, absolutely. Yeah, and studying in this field is fascinating as well because mm-hmm. it's an area that is becoming more and more of interest, whereas previously people just sort of thought, oh, yeah, get pregnant, whatever. Mm. Now they're understanding how important it is to get it right and yeah. the implications of not getting it right. And yeah. so, you know, being being part of something that is a huge, like a change in the history mm. with all this new research going on is so exciting. I absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> So diving into today's topic about celiac disease, Sal, can you tell us what's the key difference between celiac disease and, say, gluten intolerance? Okay, so people who have celiac disease have, it's an autoimmune medical condition that means that they, if they are eating gluten-containing foods, their body suffers from inflammation and malabsorption of nutrients. So celiac disease is diagnosed with a biopsy of the small intestine, which demonstrates the inflammation levels in that. If you have high inflammation levels in the small intestine, then food can't be absorbed when you eat it. So you have uh, conditions like osteoporosis and iron, iron deficiency and other nutrient deficiencies. Whereas with the um, gluten intolerance, that it doesn't like it's it's not all symptom related. So some people with celiac disease don't even have symptoms. And some people do. So people who say they're gluten intolerant or have been diagnosed as gluten intolerant react to something in the gluten-containing grains, whether it's gluten or some other factor within the grain, but they don't get the damage to the small bowel system. They don't have the same levels of inflammation in their system. So it's they still need to avoid it from a symptom perspective but not from a medical perspective. And you make such a great point, Sally, about the difference between is it really the gluten that people are having a symptom reaction to in the case of gluten intolerance or sometimes called non-celiac gluten sensitivity or sometimes it can be easily mistaken for reacting to the carbohydrate fraction or fibre fraction of that Absolutely, yeah. fructan, which is then more of a FODMAP problem, which can kind of sometimes simulate similar digestive symptoms, and that can be the trouble in kind of working it all out is knowing yes. the differences that's and subtleties. Right. But that's why um, dietitians always ensure that people have been tested for celiac disease while while on a gluten-free diet Mm. before starting on a low FODMAP diet, for example. Yeah, very important. What are some of the key symptoms or warning signs? You mentioned iron deficiency and osteoporosis, but many people don't even know they have osteoporosis until we we screen for it. Um, What are some of those key symptoms or warning signs that could indicate that you might have celiac disease and, and how do you get tested? Well... If it's in your family, you have an increased risk. Like I said, it may you may be not have any symptoms. 
So you can't really base it on symptoms. And the symptoms themselves are so wide-ranging because they're all related to inflammation. So it could be brain fog, it could be skin problems, it could be nerve problems, it could be anything really. Uh, The symptoms are so wide-ranging for celiac disease. Mm. So specifically if you've got someone in your family, it should be tested if you're worried about any of it. Yeah, I think um, to add to that, sometimes weight loss, um, unexplained weight loss can sometimes be a a factor with celiac disease too. Do you still see that in your practice? Well, yeah, except 30% of people um, who are diagnosed are obese. Mm. So it's not necessarily, it doesn't result in um, less energy being absorbed. It's the nutrients Mm. that is the biggest problem. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about asymptomatic celiac disease? It's really common. Mm. Just this morning I had another one in. It was a a girl I was seeing who had been diagnosed and then because she had been diagnosed they had her sister tested and the sister has it but has no symptoms. So you see it a lot. That's what I have. I'm asymptomatic. And Mm. it's, you know, that's the, the concern with people who, like me, don't have symptoms, is like, oh, maybe I could just have a little bit of this or a little bit of that Mm. and get away with it. But that's why I say to people celiac disease is not about symptoms, although, Mm. yes, people get symptoms. I'm not discounting how terrible those symptoms can be, but it's more about the effect that you're having on your internal side. Mm. from a nutrient absorption perspective, which is mm. what, what it's important for fertility to make yeah. sure you're getting the nutrients you need to have the baby you want in a healthy yeah. way. Absolutely. So how can you get tested for celiac disease? Is it only the biopsy with the endoscopy, the camera down the throat, or is there another way to be screened? So the the best starting place is to ensure that you have enough gluten in your diet, which is the equivalent of four slices of wheat bread a day for over at least six weeks. Um, I mean, there are cases where even that isn't enough and that can be really hard for people to do if they are symptomatic, but that's a whole other story. So basically you start with a blood test, which is the tissue transglutaminase, um, IgA, and all this, all this information is on celiac.org.au, the Celiac Australia website on how to diagnose. But basically you have a blood test and if the blood test is positive, then you have to remain on gluten until you have the endoscopic biopsy. But like I said, um, the blood test is only 90% accurate and, well, I didn't say, but it is 90, only 90% accurate. And uh, so... the just if, if a blood test is negative, there's a further test you can have to check that it really is negative. That is important information and critically keeping gluten in your diet in the before diet, yes. you test because otherwise the test won't make any sense because it's an immune response to the gluten. So if you don't have gluten, there won't be an immune response to then pick up in the blood work false negative yeah exactly right and how much gluten does it have to be Sal, before you get tested well 
everybody's different. You know, if you listen to um, Dr. Jason Tidin, he's a, a professor in um, down in Melbourne, and he sees people all the time with celiac disease. He specialises in it. And he says that he's had cases of people who have been on um, on the diet for six weeks and, and they can't see any damage but they do have celiac disease because they've had celiac uh, gluten out of their diet for so long. So as long as you can tolerate, basically. The thing is he also is in the process of uh, working on a, a like a 24-hour gluten challenge so when that comes through it's going to help a lot of people yeah because currently the recommendation is around six weeks of gluten exposure and about isn't it around four slices of bread or equivalent per day yes yeah yes which when most people when they say oh yeah i don't restrict gluten and then you ask them how much bread or (laughs) pastoral gluten containing grains they have it's it's not that much and they go, oh yeah, but I drink beer and I have, you know, I have the odd may contain thing, and yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not enough. So yeah, you you want to do the test, you know, well, um, and as well, there's also the genetic test. So maybe you could talk briefly about the genetic test for celiac disease and what that really means, um, either in isolation or with the immune markers yeah so if you have the genetic test and you're negative there's a 99 percent chance that you won't get celiac disease but if you are positive it doesn't mean you will get it either so the only positive thing about a gene test is knowing that you won't get it yes that's what i say too and do people that have a positive gene but negative serology um, so that's the immune markers, should they be going gluten-free to prevent, quote-unquote, developing celiac disease? Because that's something I no, see a lot. Yeah. You can't prevent it at this stage. It's environmentally triggered, they think, but they really don't know what causes it. There's most recent research is looking at the gut microbiome and, you know, potentially its role in the development of autoimmune conditions. So I'd be really interested to see what they find down that route. Mm, Absolutely. And Mm. so how might celiac disease affect male and female fertility or ability to conceive? Well, if you're not eating a healthy diet, you're not going to have the nutrients that your body needs to make a healthy baby. So whether that's a male or a female same outcome you know we talk to men about sperm health and if they're if they have celiac disease that is not treated properly then their sperm health is not going to be at its peak and with women we know that um you know celiac disease accounts for something like nine percent of miscarriages and um basically you know, they've even brought it to the point where um, if people are having recurrent miscarriages that they need to be checked for celiac disease because mm. it is a, a common cause of miscarriage. And if people aren't mm. following a strict gluten-free diet, they they may think they are, but really they should check with a dietitian anyway because the gluten-free diet mm. generally is pretty poor quality. 
um, you know, with the alternate, you know, people just don't eat enough whole grains and their fibre levels are low and their prebiotic prebiotic fibre levels are low, which is, mm. you know, also critical. So people with celiac disease really need to see a dietitian whether or not they're strict, but certainly <laughs> if they're not strict, they need to get strict with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that is like, so with celiac disease, it, it's a lifelong strict gluten-free diet is the only way we have found to manage the disease at this point in time. And so any grain of sand amount of gluten that comes in can have a reaction. So it's not just about you know, oh, I'm gluten-free, but dessert doesn't count. Oh, certainly so, not yeah. dessert doesn't count. But saying that, it's not like if you have a speck of gluten, it's not like a lawnmower comes along and mows off all your villi. It, it happens no. slowly over time. So if you have a crumb every day, for example, then um, yeah. that's enough to cause damage. Exactly. Um, and so that's why it's important to check in with a, a dietitian who knows about celiac disease to go over everything that you're eating with a bit of a fine tooth comb just to check that you aren't unintentionally chronically exposing yourself to some gluten, even contamination um, that could be affecting your nutrient absorption and thus your fertility. Yeah, and also to check the general nutritional quality of your diet. Yeah, absolutely. So I recently read some shocking statistics. Well, I thought that was shocking. Maybe they're not shocking to you. <laughs> but the general population, you know, level of celiac disease is about 1%. And then that's double in the trying to conceive infertility population, 2%. But then I saw that the statistic goes up to as high as 17% amongst those people with endometriosis in particular. Do you think that everyone who is trying to conceive or with endo specifically should be proactively being screened for celiac disease earlier in their journeys? Or do you think that, you know, that the, that um, proposition of looking at it once there's been recurrent losses, um, then looking at it? What do you think? Well, I mean, as you say, it's a shocking statistic. And if someone told me that I had a one in five chance of having celiac disease wouldn't it be worth having a blood test before you start investigating dietary issues? I mean, one of the treatments for endo is a low FODMAP diet, so you have to check for celiac disease before starting a low FODMAP yep. diet anyway. And, mm. you know, I, I always wonder, there's also like really high rates in autism and other other sort of medical conditions and I wonder that's be if that's because those people have more blood tests. Mm. People who have medical conditions mm. have more blood tests anyway. Mm. It's actually higher than mm. 1%. It's um, in Australia the most recent numbers were 1.7%, I think. Mm. Well, that's interesting. I wonder if this was a US. Yeah, well, so this was uh, um, one done in Melbourne, which is the one that shows that um, if they weren't diagnosed with celiac disease, it was probably fructans. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think gluten and gluten-containing foods slash high fructan foods or containing the fructan FODMAP in particular is the number one thing that's on the chopping block um, um, when people are self-managing their diet with endometriosis 
already, um, but often they're not doing that extra step of going to get tested for celiac disease before yeah. they do I mean, that it's removal. really easy to add it on to a blood test mm. request. Some and we're getting other nutrients checked, so why not get it done at the same time? Absolutely. Be proactive about it. Um, what are the risks of unmanaged or undiagnosed celiac disease for general health? So we've talked a little about nutrient deficiencies and osteoporosis, but then also fertility. What are the kind of – if somebody was like, oh, I don't really want to be gluten-free today, I'm just going to be a bit of a rebel or, you know, I'm, I'm putting my head in the sand, both my, my sister and my mum have celiac disease, I'm starting to maybe think I have it too and I'm just delaying the inevitable um, and, and getting tested, you know, what are some of the consequences or risks of that? Well, it's a medical condition. You are putting yourself at, at, at risk of, well, osteoporosis, iron deficiency, anemia, lack of energy, potentially cancer. In the longer term, if you keep, keep causing the damage, it could lead to cancer. And also we know that cancer is made worse when people aren't getting a balanced diet and don't have the gut right gut health alignment. So... You know, you, you, yeah. it's really dangerous. It's not something that you put off. No. But people think yeah. that it's just about the symptoms. And, and that yes. it just does my head in. It's got nothing to do with symptoms. I don't get yeah. any symptoms I, and I'm strictly gluten-free because I know how it affects my health. And I can see how it affects my diabetes. If, you know, they say, mm. oh, I have brittle diabetes, go, right, get checked for celiac disease because it's really hard to manage your blood glucose levels if you have celiac disease. Yeah. Well, it's like I always, uh, I feel very similarly in the in the endometriosis sphere of I'm relatively asymptomatic, but I still try and take all the right steps that I can from a diet and lifestyle and medical perspective Stop it getting to, worse to well. manage. Yeah. Yeah. And not, and not, you know, shoot myself in the foot in a way and be like, look back in, a few years' time and be like, oh, whoops, <laughs> should have been taking my omega-3s, but I didn't because it was too hard basket. No. Um, so it's just about that preventative yeah, health being proactive rather than a reactive. Yeah, proactive rather than yeah. reactive. Yeah, absolutely. Sally, what are your top three nutrition or dietary tips to help manage celiac disease, particularly for those people who are trying to conceive? So don't. I mean, obviously you have to remember the strict gluten-free diet, but don't forget about healthy eating. So, you know, I, I remind people about the Australian Dietary Guidelines and it's really only one group that contains gluten. And in that group, it's important, so this is number two, it's really important to include the whole grains, gluten-free grains, so quinoa, buckwheat, sorghum, amaranth there's heaps of them and the um the third main thing i think is uh prebiotics i think that looking after you're seeing so much more research coming out about the impact of gut health if people are including heaps of prebiotics then um that's got to be helpful you know from yeah. Especially that latest research that 
that uh, Tim Crow was talking about and in, in how it may be linked with autoimmune conditions. Mm. Even just um, including a teaspoonful of inulin each day in your mm-hmm. diet can make such a big difference. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful for many health, health conditions, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So important to not just pick up the packet of stuff because it says mm. gluten-free on it and then ignore all the naturally gluten-free foods like meat, fish, chicken, eggs, all naturally gluten-free and whole dairy foods. And then so many naturally gluten-free whole grains that aren't as highly refined and lacking in fibre and prebiotic fibre in particular. So absolutely. Mm. And leveraging legumes. How important yes. is that for managing oh, I celiac would, disease? I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have legumes. <laughs> I live on the things. <laughs> yeah. So and people say, oh, I so don't like lo- them. You go, well, mm. which ones have you tried? Oh, only this one. <laughs> you go, <okay. laughs> so why don't you yes. make a soup with it and whiz it up and makes it really creamy? Or why don't you have it as hummus Mm. dip or why don't you, you know, there's so many different ways you can use them. Put lentils in your bolognese sauce or whatever. Yep. There are so many sneaky ways that you can add them into your diet and um, they're so nutritionally dense as well and very important part of a fertility-friendly diet anyway. So important to boost the plant protein and zinc and plant-based iron and all those Good nutrients, absolutely. Sally, do you have anything else to add to today's podcast? Any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with? Keep listening to Steph. (laughs) 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 And, yeah, look for a specialist dietitian if you're going down this route because, honestly, I've been studying fertility for four years now and I can't believe how much I learn every day, specifically. Mm. Yeah, ever-evolving space, absolutely. Yeah. Sally, where can people find out more about you? Well, you can look at my Facebook page, which is Marquini Nutrition. I'm not very big on Instagram, I'm afraid to so say. I do have an Instagram site, but I don't actively use it. I'm more of a Facebook girl. Mm. So Marquini mm-hmm. Nutrition or um, that's pretty much the only social I do, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Webs- and your website? MarquiniNutrition.com.au um, or you can email me, sally at MarquiniNutrition.com.au if you like. It all goes to the same place. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh. fabulous. Oh, your um, Facebook groups. I really love Be Well Oh, yes. So Be Well Gluten Free is, um, I think, yes. is the only gluten-free Facebook group that is run by a dietitian. So all the other ones. Fabulous. Yeah, well, I tried to just have a bit of a focus on health to try and help people to mm. make better choices. Mm. So I'm glad you think it's fabulous. Thank you. And Oh, every celiac client goes straight to that Facebook yeah. group after my and consult. He- heaps <laughs> of dietitians refer their clients there as well. And, I, you know, I encourage people, anyone to comment and make, you know, put mm. your two cents worth in. But hopefully yeah, it helps people, gives them some kind of support. Because I did used to work for a, um, a diabetes charity group that 
I was paid mm. to do. So I volunteer to do Be Well Gluten Free. Mm. But um, mm. we help so many people with diabetes across Australia. And then after that finished, I thought, well, hey, I'm, I was doing that anyway. And it's really nice to help people. So I, I mm. do this on the side. Oh, so generous of you as I know you are. Thank you so much for your time, Sally, and your expertise all about celiac disease and fertility. Really appreciate you joining us. And for those listening, don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast and share the podcast with a family member, friend or a colleague. We love hearing from those of you who have connected with the podcast. So drop us a message over on Instagram at the underscore dietologist if you have any podcast episode requests as well. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.